Welcome back to Shadowbound. I'm Victor Kinzer, and I'm here with James Soprano. And today we're going to be talking about something that's very core and central to Wraith, but it's important for a lot of other role-playing games as well. And that's how do we treat each other at the role-playing table? And we're going to be talking about this specifically as it relates to Wraith and why it's so important when you're running or playing in a Wraith game. But Honestly, a lot of what we're going to be saying still applies to almost any table. And so we hope that this is helpful for all of your games. So the reason we really wanted to tackle this for the Wraith podcast and to do it very early on is because in Wraith, player conflict and the kind of tension between you and your shadow that's being played by other PCs, as well as potentially conflicting motivations around your passions and the things you need to do in the real world are central to the game. You aren't all together as just a merry band to fight the monster, to go on the quest, the way you would be in potentially a lot of other role-playing games, although certainly not all. So navigating that very intentionally and thinking about how am I impacting other people is really, really important. I know we talked a lot about passions and fetters last time. James, how do you guide that at your table or talk to people about how do you be in conflict that much while, you know, treating each other well and facilitating a good time. It, truthfully, the place that I start, which I wasn't planning to talk about, but since you asked the question this way, the place that I start is I almost, the people who I, would, I invite to my table are people who I already either know, practice things like radical empathy, or just who are people like who I trust can lean into that especially in like any kind of horror game um but but wraith like being like the most horrific of the horror games of our particular world of darkness that we're talking about beyond that like you know i tend to like have a discussion with everyone even before the game starts about you know what kind of themes are going to be showing up and how we're going to address and react to them and question people on whether or not they think some of those things are going to be things that they are comfortable with too. You know, for example, you mentioned the the passions and fetters from last time. It might be that like another player at the table has a, a fetter that's like their child who they had like a really intense relationship with, like a really like almost friend level relationship. You know, those, those kinds of relationships, they're not really very healthy, but they're really intense. You know, maybe the way that your character left this mortal coil was a suicide you know and if someone else at that table has a parent who's committed suicide that might not be something they're ready to really dive into or alternatively they might be like i really want to dive into that you know but like i would say more often than not it's gonna be like that might be really hard for them and either a they'd be like you know maybe that's not going to work for this game or b they're going to be like you know ahead of time let's talk about the fact that this is an issue for me and it might bring these things up and i might need you know some of that empathy for what I'm going through in my real heart, my real life, when we encounter this story element. So it's like really important to get to know where everyone's coming from, not just their characters, uh, and, and kind of get a feel for how they're going to brush up against those character stories. Because if you don't know, if you don't see those things coming, like it might derail your night, and that's rough enough. Sometimes it'll derail your whole game if you're not ready for that. And so like, I have these discussions in almost every game I run, but more than any other game I've ever run, this is the game where you have to have those discussions in. Yeah, I swear by session zeros for Wraith 
And, you know, one thing I struggled with a lot the last time I ran a race chronicle is I had players who were really excited about race. I had told them what the game was all about. I told them the story I wanted to run, you know, the initial pitch. And they were really, really excited, but then they had a hard time committing to the game. And so I had people constantly coming and going, and it resulted in a situation where you never knew who your shadow guide was going to be. And everybody slowly found out everybody else's secrets because sooner or later, everyone had shadow guided for everyone, which is not ideal. And it resulted in this sort of numbing down of some of the emotional dynamics, which on one hand you would think might, you know, take the edge off of some of these things, but it resulted in kind of a weirdly blase response to some of the horror and it it got very uncomfortable. So I think there's also a certain level of having empathy, being careful not to, you know, do things that are going to hit someone else too hard, or at least, you know, checking in with them, making a point of being aware, but there's also a certain level of you need to stay raw you know, you need to stay open, not completely unprepared, but just like receptive to the story. And if you find yourself going numb, needing to shut things off, communicating that because it can have some strange dynamics with other people. And I think that's really important in a a race game. The impact of personal horror is that it needs to have that strong personal feel you know, understandably, because of certain situations that might come up, but if you're responding by kind of cutting off your emotions, you're losing a lot of the impact of what that story is. You know, it's, I guess it's kind of like, we've all been to watch a horror movie with a friend and have that friend just kind of like laugh at the horror that's happening. Like we've all had that experience and it really ruins everything, but but they're probably doing it just because just that's their way of navigating it. There's definitely something to be said for the defense of callousness. Like you have to choose to let yourself feel something. And if it's uncomfortable, you can just be like, nope, not going to process that. And it's frustrating with a movie. Like it'll ruin the mood, but it'll really disrupt things in a role-playing game. It's kind of, I almost feel like it's the Wraith equivalent of, oh, it's what my character would do. Like, no, I'm just going to approach this in a calculated way. And you don't think that that's about how you're treating other people, but it really does become something that you're sort of doing to the people around you. So I think being really aware of that is important. I feel kind of like some of the things we talked about earlier about you had had sent a link about sort of the Nordic LARP check-in system of checking in with other players and some of the safety systems And I've seen a lot of people talk about things like X cards, like, oh no, I need to brown out. I need to black out the scene, which is important. People need to be able to do that. But I liked the check-in model because it keeps you connected. It's not just about I'm setting boundaries. It's about I'm staying connected to the other players. And I think that's almost a better way to approach that in Wraith. Not that you should take blackouts or brownouts off the table, but that your first tool is that emotional reach out. You know, I love this system because you're right. It is like a very connected thing. It is also about empathy, which is what we're discussing. And also if you employ it, if you, if you get into a good practice with it, you can employ it in ways where it doesn't disrupt your role play. A lot of those other systems, when you stop to like 
say, oh, I need my blackout or whatever you are kind of like stopping and stepping out of the scene for a moment. You're stepping out of the immersion that you're experiencing. And with the specific check-in system we're talking about, the Nordic Lord version, like it's like, a, it's a really simple, like thumbs up, thumbs down, or like wavy hand of uncertainty. <laughs> so you can be like role-playing, talking to each other. Like, let's say you and another character are in an argument, right? And like raised voices are happening. I use this in a werewolf LARP that I ran for a long time. And so, you know, in a werewolf LARP, there's gonna be lots of raised voices because werewolves are anger yelling machines. But like what people would do, and I was really impressed with how well everyone took to this, is they'd start doing that. They'd get to the tense arguments. They'd like throw out their chests, all that kind of stuff. And while they were doing it, just kind of like to the side and below, they'd be like, lift their thumb, eyebrow raise. And the other person would be like, subtly like, yes, thumbs up. It, like it's okay. And they'd keep yelling at each other without any real break. In the same way with Wraith, like if you have two characters that are like getting into it, or maybe like one of them is being ran by the shadow for a moment and being like awful to one of their, a member of their circle, the shadow guy should be the one to be like, you know, thumbs up, are you okay? And I, while that's happening, the other person can respond like how they're handling it without your scene getting derailed. So it's a really great system. You'll probably notice it's really similar to, you know, safe words <laughs> in kink. But honestly, you know, like I asked Victor before we started recording, should I even reference this? But like, you know, without going into a lot of detail, like if you think about it, kink is also role play. And it's also role play that's dealing with deep psychological elements. And it's also role play that's like where you're getting catharsis from the bleed you're experiencing. I'm using role playing words that maybe kink doesn't use, but it's a similar thing. Like you're getting a good feeling that you want from pretending something is happening. You have to work really hard in those scenarios to protect each other emotionally. You know, this is a similar thing. We're engaging in role play because we get deep catharsis out of it. We get a powerful feelings that we enjoy from experiencing things like dread and horror and pain through role play. We're pretending to experience those things. So it's just, it's equally as important to use safety check-in systems like that, just to make sure that everyone is actually getting the joy that they want out of the negative experiences like horror and not actually feeling terrorized. You know, full disclosure for everyone, I've been a member of gay kink community for a long time. You go digging long enough, you might even still find some old Blooming Out episodes. I had a whole segment on gay leather culture for like a year. You named it. You'll have to dig that hard if you named it. <laughs> I don't know if they're still up. That was years ago and it was for a public radio station, not like a great archival entity. <laughs> Uh, the show is still running, but last time I looked, the archive didn't go back far enough to hit the three years I was co-hosting. But anyway, part of what I like actually for Wraith, especially about relating it to kink is a lot of the safety system discussions I've seen online are about boundary setting and, you know, safety. The emphasis is on safety. And that's definitely a dynamic in kink, but part of the dynamic in kink is also, I want to push my boundaries. And mm -hmm. so I need to be able to say when that's crossed, but there's also, you know, you talked about the thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of wavery thing, kind of the intro safe words in kink, especially if say you're in a public space, just playing with someone new, the universal ones are the stoplights, green, yellow, red. Yeah. And depending on the scene, green generally means it isn't just things are great. It's you could go a little harder, yeah. you know, and that would be great. And yellow is cool. I'm having to struggle, but nothing's wrong. It's not, maybe something's wrong. And then red is we've gone too far or like a hard yellow that's, you know, contributed out of nowhere, maybe is we're, we're hitting a boundary. 
and you learn how to navigate those things. And I feel like in Wraith, there are a lot of situations. One that comes to mind is a harrowing where everybody is focused in on one person. Like everyone is being a jackass to one person because you're in a harrowing. It could be one of those situations where, all right, I want to push the emotional dynamic here and I want to see how far I can go. And the check-in can be about more nuanced navigation. And because Wraith is about those moments, I feel like thinking about the the kink structure is almost more useful maybe even than some other games. Yeah, you know, since you mentioned a harrowing, what that made me think of was, you know, it's funny, we, we're selling this as a, as a Wraith podcast, but really it's just going to be like us talking about kink and colonization the whole time. But what I'm thinking about is, you know, sometimes you have like public play scenes where like it's people will encourage the crowd to join in and like harass you. And your comparison to a harrowing, maybe you think of right away, I'm like, how would I translate this to kink? Oh yeah, maybe like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely think of settings that have been like that. And it's also one of those things where I think back to like the first public kink events I went to the first time I saw, say, a public flogging. And it was like super duper safe. It was more of a community type kink event and it was very structured and it was assumed that no one really knew how you know, to navigate things. And then later I went to actual like leather competitions that had a high price of entry, sort of knew everyone there was a regular part of the community. And I remember the first time I went, my husband was actually competing at this competition and they had a public play space and there was one individual and I'm not going to go into the detail of what he was doing, but he was engaging in some play where it was just like, nope, I need to not be, no, like (laughs) half of the conference was like, oh, he's playing. We're not here right now. Uh It was just, and everyone knew and everyone was fine with like leaving. No one was bothered by the fact that he was doing that. But then as I went back to that event year over year, there was kind of this organic, I don't want to say language, but just communication style that you saw. It was always there, but as I became more accustomed to it, you, you saw it emerging. And I think those different like settings, those different ways of approaching Wraith are very appropriate. Like, oh, we've got new people or I'm running Wraith at uh, Gen Con, which I've done before. I'm going to be very structured. Like a pickup Wraith? You did a pickup Wraith game? Yeah, it was scheduled. Oh. People people sat down. I ran it. At, I ran the same scenario at a local gaming convention in Chicago and at Gen Con. It was exciting. It went fantastically at one con and it was very awkward and difficult at the other. <laughs> I don't know what the difference was. You know, you can do Wraith in settings like that and you can push some of the themes, but then you're going to be very much about the guardrails. Whereas if you found a group where you've been able to play Wraith for a long time, you know, maybe not a two, three year chronicle. It's tricky with the way Wraith scales, but like maybe a group where you played a brief Wraith chronicle, you played something else, you played a brief Wraith chronicle and like you have a tight communication style, you can start to get into some more organic safety mechanisms but you still know you're going to be doing that very proactively you know the development of like the organic development of language you're talking about is actually something that i saw in my role-playing community at large as a result of engaging in this specific in the nordic larp check-in system at that werewolf larp i ran i started to see and still see to this day at people's tables their private 
tabletop games, not, not even LARPs, they're using those systems. I've seen it expand into like our local gaming store operates like a big D&D network of like everyone playing in the same world. And it's using that now too. And like one of the people involved in that was in my game, but now it's like just universal in that place too. And, you know, I think kind of what it comes down to and, and why, you know, I think referencing kink is really important here is that most of the time when you sit down at the gaming table, particularly in non-horror games like D&D, you know, kind of like the first things people are thinking about are like, has everyone read the book? Does everyone know the rules? Does everyone have a character? Does everyone like know what they're doing? Does everyone have a snack? You know, like that's kind of like the first thing in everyone's mind in those settings. But I think that both in kink and how you should approach Wraith and honestly any role-playing game period, but especially horror games, is the first thing in your mind should be, is everyone safe? And if everyone who is part of your community, whether it be a small tabletop, whether it be like a large interconnected set of tabletops, like that D&D community that's near me, or whether it's like a big LARP, if everyone who's coming to that group is coming with the first thing in their mind being, am I safe? And is everyone here around me safe? That attitude will come naturally to everyone. And you might still, you know, have hiccups and I would be surprised if you didn't, but like, you're going to have the best experiences, the most positive experiences of like bleed and catharsis, not in-game catharsis, but real world catharsis that you could possibly have, which is what we want out of these games. And, you know, out of someone spanking us in public or whatever it might be. I, I'm, I'm reeling back what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, yes, that that's all definitely fair. You know, we've talked a little bit about safety systems and how we navigate that. And we've mentioned a couple of the dynamics where you are explicitly just, you're going to be antagonistic towards other players, whether that's a harrowing or shadow play. There's one other dynamic in Wraith though, and that is just, there are a lot of powers in this game that take agency away or at least blunt agency. And I think all the World of Darkness games have some version of that. You've got Dominate and Presence in Vampire, certainly. You've got Sovereign in Changeling. You've got the Mind Sphere in Mage. I don't know off the top of my head if there's like a particular class of gift in Werewolf, but I know there are gifts that have this effect to, to varying levels. But in Wraith, it's all over the place. You know, you can skin ride and violate living creatures and literally just possess them what you think of as traditional possession but then there's like a a wraith version of that where you can ride other wraiths and then there's manipulating memory and manipulating desire directly and it's just it's sort of sprinkled throughout the entire game and so that comes up a lot And I'm curious if you've ever had that come up as a concern at your table. For me, I don't think I've ever had players use those powers on each other. I've certainly struggled to navigate. Ooh, an NPC would really likely use one of these, but I'm very reticent to take agency away from players as the storyteller. But maybe you need to embrace sometimes. So I think it, again, comes down to communication. It does. You said the key right there. It comes down to communication because you're right. It comes up. In Wraith, I think more than any of the other games. And you're right, you mentioned Werewolf. I think it comes up in Werewolf the least. It does come up a little, but compared to the others, it's pretty minimal. In Wraith, it's kind of naturally built into a lot of the setting as well. Like, Wraiths do treat each other in really awful ways sometimes. You know, like, the literal currency they use is just shape-shifted 
race that are stuck that way forever. They've certainly had their agency taken away. <laughs> so I guess, you know, early on, we talked about what you called your session zero, what I was, I didn't call it that, but for me, it's a little bit longer of a like, let's have lots of conversations about this, you know, because there's definitely players and, and I've been this player sometimes, it kind of depends on where I'm at, who are like, like I don't want to play in a game where I, where that happens to me. Like, I just, I don't have any interest in that. That's like not the kind of fun I'm going to have. And you have to respect that. But also truthfully, like it might be hard, like there might be some race stories you could tell that way, but it's going to be hard to entirely avoid it. And so the best thing to do is to sit down with everyone who's going to be part of this game and talk to them about the fact that this happens in this game. It does happen. It's really impossible to just completely get away from. But what you'd like to do is kind of sit with everyone, acknowledge that it's going to happen, that when it does happen, it's not like an out of character punishment. Like you're not going to do it because you don't like how someone's role playing, which I think is often, it's not the only reason, but it's a scenario that comes up as to why people don't like it because they've experienced that happening to them as a punishment for how they were playing their character. And rather what it's going to be is a way to further your character's story. They're going to go through that experience. They're going to come out of it. And it's going to be like consequences and places that takes them. And also that like, no matter what, you know, I would say this is one of those occasions where I would be more comfortable with, we can go ahead and step out of the immersion for a moment to just like talk with each other and make sure everyone's okay about having their character's agency taken away. Like, for example, I know I'm going to spoil it, but we're about to talk about in a little more detail about intimation. And one of the things that you might do to someone with that power is make it so that they didn't love someone anymore. And that's like, an awful feeling it's an awful thing to think about but like you could approach that story that way but still stop and step out of character and talk about how it's going to not only impact the character but also talk about how it's going to impact the player and how the player feels because again like we're all experiencing a little bit we want the positive lead we want the catharsis and i think that to a degree when you do play like a character who has romantic entanglements in the character that you do feel at least some degree of love for them and so like if someone's like okay and now your character doesn't love them anymore how does that impact you? How does that make you feel about the situation you're in? You honestly cracked it right when you said it. It's just communication. Like you have to be clear that that can probably will happen, but we're going to talk about it every step of the way. Like there's not going to be any like, okay, you shut up and sit in the corner now and you can't play for the rest of the session because someone else is playing your character, which is tends to be how that thing shows up at other tables, which is what people don't want. The one thing I will say about Wraith is while there are a lot of powers that remove agency, there aren't a lot of powers that can be used on wraiths that do that. I've thought a lot about the way wraith takes agency away. And what's interesting about it is it will strip agency away from a character, but it tends to not really strip agency away from a player entirely. So intimation is a perfect example of this. You're not possessing them. It's not dominate. It's not a strict order. All of the powers are about desire you strip desire away, you make someone desire something. And that can go to some really dark places. It's the only power I've ever seen get its own standalone trigger warning in a game, but in Wraith 20th, Intimation has a warning on it saying, hey, make sure everyone's okay with this even being treated as part of the game before you play. But the interesting thing about it is it's the storyteller or another player who's using it on you saying, you now desperately want that thing. How you role play that is entirely up to you. And there's certainly room for someone who, you know, isn't open to the experience, or maybe it's being done in a retaliatory manner, not engaging in that in good faith, you know, depending on what's led to that moment, maybe they have no reason to engage in good faith, but hopefully everyone's, you know, been approaching things maturely. 
I think one thing that's really important, and I know we mentioned this in previous episode, is thinking about what's good for you is getting plot. It's not necessarily good for your character, but it's good for you. And I like, you know, between intimation or mimnosinous, where it's not, okay, I'm taking control of your character, but I'm just rewriting your memory. I'm taking memories away. I'm implanting false memories. And you as the player know this. You know what happened in the last 10 sessions. But now here's this other narrative you have to role play, but you still get to decide how to role play it. And there are a lot of things like that in Wraith, which I think can be hard and feel like options are being taken away, but it's just a different type of opportunity as long as you you see it that way. Um, but it's definitely not something people that maybe have a lot of experience with more traditional narrative structures in games will be ready for. It can certainly take people by surprise if they're not prepped. Yeah, it's, if you're listening to us because you want to storytell Wraith, you have to prep people for this. There's no way to step into this game. Like you have to get ready. Like this is not a normal tabletop role-playing game. I know it's like set in the world darkness. It has kind of like its own feel of like adventure and thrill along with the horror. And it also like the rest of the world darkness exists in, in like the big political supernatural meta plot about like where the world's going and stuff like that. But like, I would say Wraith is a, a lot more like sitting down to run a role-playing game that's about a family where everyone is traumatized and they're all some degree of toxic to each other because of their trauma. And that's the focus of your game. Like, yes, does it exist in this giant political world where like, you know, maelstroms are dragging, you know, vampire antediluvians into the shadow or whatever is going on all that stuff is happening around you that's true but you need to start at that core you need to start at that core that you're navigating literally what is toxic relationships and trauma and you're never going to stop doing that in a race game and you have to start at that level and make sure everyone's prepared and okay with going that way and i gotta say the first time i ran race i was sort of i think Wraith was the game that got me out of super epic world changing world of darkness narratives, because that's what I ran in high school and college. And I had just finished running like a four year dark ages to modern vampire. Everybody's a ludicrous elder by the end, you know, intentionally I, I designed everything for it because, you know, everybody does that once. And then I'm like, oh, I really want to run Wraith. I finally figured like I loved Wraith for a long time, but I couldn't crack it. And then I finally cracked it and I went, okay, I want to run this game. And I only had three players, which I wish at the time, I'm like, I wish I could get more people. The three players was a uh, blessing. It was a total blessing. Yeah. <laughs> and I did something that wasn't super epic world changing, but I did go more for the epic end of things. I ended up, you know, having a thing going on that involved Karin's Pacifay, not Karin's Pacifay as it is in the actual game. I did not summon Gorul. I hadn't read that plot point at the time. Um, but I started Intimate, but this thing was happening in the background. And the Chronicle went for about six months, which is long for a Wraith Chronicle. Um, it was weekly play for six months. I still don't know how I pulled that off. Um, and I, I, I like how it ended up. But when I look back on it, if I had it to do over, 
I probably wouldn't have pulled in so much meta. It was just, it was my default at the time. And, you know, since then I've really wanted to do just an entirely intimate local, only have the meta plot appear in as much as there are some Legion members and some local politics and like the setting exists. And I haven't quite had that opportunity yet. I got really close once, but it was a, it was a more difficult chronicle and it didn't go very far, but that's where I want to go with it and lean into a lot of these dynamics a lot more. I want to do so much more with Harrowings, so much more with Harrowings than I've gotten the chance to. My players were all almost too fastidious about their angst. <laughs> well, I know. I also, I do want to make a, a clarifying point too. Like I actually, I'm, I'm, I don't want what I said to come across as like, you shouldn't be engaging in like the big meta. I guess what I mean more is like, you can do that and, and should, because it's like lots of cool, interesting stuff to do there. And like, you know, part of the fun of World Darkness is the big wild meta plots going on in the background. If you're like, you know, recovering lost kingdoms that are out in the maelstrom or whatever, like you still want to draw it back to like, what is the personal impact this is having on everyone? And how is it changing, altering, making better, making worse the way that they're interacting with each other? That's got to be your core that everything else is revolving around. All the other stuff is fun. Don't be afraid to use it. It's cool. Like, do you want to find a, you want to find that ashtray somewhere and like have a plot surrounding it? Please do. Please do. Also like, you know, jot back to like the personal conflict because once you like lose like we're all talking about how to safely and empathetically handle those things with your players but also like once a wraith game loses sight of those things entirely you are losing what wraith is what the most compelling powerful things about storytelling wraith can be i definitely agree with that one of the the final things we definitely wanted to touch on was storytelling your fall and the fact that so much of Wraith is about your descent to oblivion, however slow it may be, and how doing that in a really elegant way can be super exciting if you're into it. And when we were thinking about how you treat each other in a role-playing table, if someone's really leaning into that okay, I want to play through kind of the fall of the character and I want to lean into these terrible moments facilitating that. And it's certainly easier if they're super into it. But, you know, we've talked a lot about safety and being empathetic and kind to each other. I touched on it a little bit earlier in the kink metaphor about pushing. And sometimes that is the thing to do. But there are definitely those moments where it's like, no, no, push me. Like, this is what I want to experience. Have you ever seen people kind of struggle because they were so used to the, you're not shitty to other players. And so like, they almost yeah. have trouble doing that. And how do you, how do you navigate that dynamic? You know, I haven't always been in this place. I've surrounded myself with like my regular gaming companions are people who do work really hard to treat each other kindly. And I've done that with intent because, you know, I think, you and I are both aware, I think most people listening are aware, there are people, like, World of Darkness sometimes draws the attention of people who, like, like to kind of be jerks to one another. It's just the truth. Like, it, you know, it's, a, it's dark and edgy, and that's going to attract that kind of stuff. I have had that problem because I have, you know, I've cultivated people who try to treat each other with a lot more kindness than they've been treated with. And I appreciate that, and I want those people at my table. So it's definitely sometimes been a challenge. Like, no, 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 no. 
love the person sitting across from you you don't have to love their character <laughs> like i i don't want you to love their character like like love them tell them you love them tell them you're having a great time with their character and then when you're their shadow destroy them but it's hard because like yeah you're you're right a lot of people have learned that it is really important to make sure everyone's having a good time at the table and that's true and that means you never do anything bad to their characters and that's not always true sometimes it is but that's not always true and it's not true in Wraith. And so trying to like get around that, unquestionably, that's going to be a challenge. I started out by saying like, if I'm going to run a Wraith game, I'm seeking out people who are capable of radical empathy. When I seek those people out, those are the people that are least likely to want to do shitty things to each other. So like, I also have to like kind of walk them through that as well. It's a challenge. I don't know if I have like a good guideline of tips other than, you know, I, I think what we've been constantly drawing back to on this whole subject is like just a lot of communication, a lot of reassurance, a lot of like tools for safety, you know, reminding everyone that the first thing we're thinking about is the safety. And then after that, we can get as edgy as we want, you know? I think that's really important. The other thing I was sort of thinking of is, you know, if I had players who really struggled with the like being a jerk and thinking through that and like, how do I be a shadow? I feel like, One of the best tools in role-playing games is the here's a template and people get very used to templates. They get used to PC templates. And the thing I'd almost like to try in my next Wraith game is give everyone like a free one point fetter beyond character creation and say this fetter, this fetter here is not protected the way the fetters that are part of normal character creation are and start the campaign, the introduction of the antagonist is a string of fetter destructions. And like, I'm not gonna take away your core character creation points. Character creation points are, are sacred, but like open with this, we're gonna run through some harrowings and have the harrowings prepped at the beginning, be like, this doesn't need to go perfectly, but this is gonna get you into the mood of what this is all about and have the harrowings really well designed and make sure everyone's on board. Cause obviously that would be a bit of a surprise if they didn't know that that was part of the narrative you had planned. But I feel like that could be a really interesting learning experience. And also harrowings are cool and careful players don't experience them often enough. I love that idea. So when I first ran across Wraith, I also came up with my, here's my idea about how I'm going to like really drag people into this, like, and really get them to what this is going to be like. And this is, it wasn't as good. It was actually kind of bad. Uh, But like, but I love your idea. I wish I had come up with that and said, mine was just like, let's run a mortal game and then I'm killing you all. But like, (laughs) that was bad because I did not communicate where we were going with that at all. And I was like 17. So excuse me. I'm a little bit better at communication now. But I, I love I love that idea. Because that's one thing I've thought about a lot is I've talked to so many people that are like, points spent on your character sheet are sacred. I'm not going to go in and unilaterally just kill a contact off screen, which I agree with that. You shouldn't do that. But then there's this like core narrative dynamic that's around absolutely doing that in race. And so I think navigating that like player feeling about the points they've spent with like needing to make this thing happen to drive the story, I think making some explicit space for that is really useful when putting together your Wraith narrative. I'm gonna go on a minor tangent, but it's just to support where you're coming from. Sorry for listeners who aren't that familiar with Mage, but I actually make it a policy in all my Mage games at this point. They actually get more backgrounds than anyone, except I think Wraith gets the same, but all the other ones get a less amount. And uh, I always give everyone an extra free point 
their avatar, which they can choose to add to if they want, it's up to them, but I give them at least one. And the reason I do that is because I genuinely feel that the role of the avatar in the mage story is so centrifugal to like where your character personally is going and like the long drawn out plots of things that when people make characters that don't have any access to that, it's honestly almost like taking like a big high point flaw. They don't always realize that. So I always do that totally free. And you know, it's just in a similar way, like you're talking about taking it away, but I'm doing it just to make sure that no one starts in a place where they can't have this like supernal communication with their higher self, at least to some small degree out the gate because like if you don't have that sometimes like you end up like wraith and all the other world darkness settings sometimes you, you might get way too focused to like the outer self and not the inner self but mage i feel like i think most people know mage is my favorite game um wraith is my second but mage mage is my favorite but it's for the same reasons i love them both for the same reasons because they're both really deep personal explorations of self like you go through all this the seven layers of hell going through all the things that you know your character is going through internally and that's what i love about role playing so that's why i like those two games but mostly what i'm coming back around to say again i'm rambling a bit but i'm coming back around to say like i think that's a really good tool to do like give everyone a little bit of a bonus somewhere because you know you're going to do something with it in the game as a whole that's going to really benefit everybody and you know that's stepping back even further away from just like oh i'm also going to take this away from you just like give everyone something to build the story uh, that's, that's totally something you should do i agree so i have one last thought and it kind of gets into shadow guiding a little bit which our next episode is going to dive deep deep into shadow guiding but there's one other dynamic in race the only other game in the world of darkness I can think of that has any version of this is Changeling and it's much, much milder. And that is, you were just a raging asshole, but it's okay because I know why. And I feel like Wraith does a much better job of highlighting that than Changeling does. Like it's there in the, oh, there are these, you know, courts and they hate each other, but they don't, they get along because it's just like, you're acting according to your nature and I'm responding according to my nature. And we all know what's good. We all know the score. And like, that's abstract and weird. But in Wraith, when you dig into the guild books, especially the partner's guild book, and it goes into like Karin having his moments. And Karin has many, many moments in the canon where they do not go big and grandiose and be like, he's in catharsis, but he's in catharsis. and. Karin's shadow probably had more influence on the politics of the underworld than Karin's psyche ever did. And this dynamic of like, you know, we talked about empathy a lot, you know, in the last couple episodes and certainly this one in terms of, I need to feel empathy as a player for you and I need to be aware of where you're at. But there's almost like a deeper empathy required to play race the way the characters are written in that I see your brokenness and I could get all worked up about it but that would be super hypocritical and it would make me hate myself. And if I don't want to hate myself and hating myself is very dangerous, then I need to be okay with that catharsis you just had. And like, that's a really interesting way that all the things we're talking about in this episode go into the narrative. How explicitly have you navigated that in your games? Explicitly? Okay. Oh, there's so many ways I can answer that because you want an explicit answer. In one of my earlier Wraith games, in the circle, there was a child Wraith who they're a little less common for good reasons, 
but this one had been murdered in a really horrific and violent way and was also a horrific and violent character and their shadow also was like let's be really monstrous with this but in their lighter moments lighter moments that stuff would manifest as like destructive tantrum throwing it would come up in these really interesting times like all the other characters in this circle were adults you know as far as right they died as adults it was like a pretty heavy intrigue game and so there'd be like scenes where you had like the other three characters in the circle and maybe like an npc i was playing like having like a meeting about like what was going on with the harbingers like what are they up to right now and in the background you just like banging and crashing and screaming and like there was just kind of a, a look between the three circle mates being like yeah she's ours and like the other npc being like okay and they would just keep continuing their political thing and then when they went to go out to go do something they're like okay you know let's go get sarah <laughs> like she's just part of us but like it was like yes let's have this like super secret meeting and like plan our future and like you know wring our hands and twirl our mustaches and like i didn't get my fucking sandwich you know in the background and they're like yeah that's just the way it is that's she's ours and that's the way it is in the shadowlands i mean <laughs> that is just the way it is and yeah. i i mean i also think you know to get into the meta we're still probably a few episodes away from really diving into the meta but i think my favorite version of that that is explicitly not explicitly in the meta is the breaking of the guilds where, I mean, that is the closest they get to just straight up saying, well, Karin had a bad day and someone made him upset and his shadow took over and he did a thing and he was too proud to admit he was in catharsis, but he was also smart enough to know that this was a bad idea. So it stays on the books, but not really. And it's like, they do this magnificent job of never saying it for the same reason that no one can say it in world. But like, you have to really try to not notice. And when that is happening in the meta with the most, not just the most powerful Wraith, but I think one of the only canon Wraith who transcends, like he transcends. Karn is actually like, as Wraiths go, he's got his shit together and he still has those moments and they shatter Stygia multiple times. And I just, I love the breaking of the guilds. I love the acknowledgement of like within 48 hours, he knew it was bullshit, but he couldn't take it back because one, too proud, two, everyone would use that against him and that would be even worse, which everyone would use that against you and it would be even worse is like the justification for every horrible thing in Wraith. And maybe it's true, maybe. But I like that. I like that show don't tell dynamic is there in Wraith, especially around something like this. Yeah, it has this almost absurdity to it sometimes. I think Changeling gets into really, like out of all the other games, Changeling gets into probably the best, maybe to a degree. But like, especially Changeling, where it's like, in Changeling, it's, a little, it's not the same theme, but it's like in Wraith, like you are living in this world of intense toxicity and horror everything is like no one can actually control themselves right they're all engaging into their worst sides from time to time even the most benevolent partner is gonna like turn into like a piece of shit at one point or another and meanwhile everyone still has to conduct business as usual in this setting you know everything's on fire all the time because everyone's literally dead and the world of the dead is falling apart in some way and 
yet you still have to figure out like the users are like still like well here's how we're going to file our taxes today you know like <laughs> that's it, that's still happening it makes you think of again i, I know i referenced i don't know if it was last episode before but i referenced beetlejuice because i feel like beetlejuice even though it's a comedy it's still such a great race setting movie you have like the sandworms eating people like all these awful things going on all around the place like them getting stuck in their home like tearing their faces apart to try and like scare people and then there's a scene where they're like in line at the office trying to get their paperwork taken care of and just like it's so mundane but is still like a menagerie of horror because you have like the lady with her legs cut off and the guy with the shrunken head is waiting in line with you that's what it's like in Wraith <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it's like in Wraith I think their caseworker was named Roz in Beetlejuice I think that's her name and Roz is just like every beaten down small town Anacreon ever and those are my favorite characters because Wraith is also the only game where you do not want that position. Everybody wants to be a baron or a prince or a countess in Changeling or like I'm in charge of the most prestigious chantry in this city. No one wants to run a necropolis. Like you read the description and you're like, oh, I don't need that power. I, I don't need that. And it's such an inversion of what happens with all the other games. And I... I kind of love that. I don't know if anyone has had the particular lovely experience. I haven't, but I've known people of being someone who was employed by the DMV. Now, imagine if you're employed by the DMV and you're immortal and that's your job forever. <laughs> yeah, that's just, it's so singularly awful. And speaking of like emotionally, like triggering your players, the last Anacreon I wrote up and I've had, the Anacreon actually involved in both Chronicles I've run because they're a local officiant. It's, it's really not that above street level, but the players hated her so much, but she wasn't a villain. And they just assumed because she was like, I don't have time for you. You're garbage. You're bullshit. I just, the city, I just need the city to not fall apart. And can you please stop being PCs for five seconds? And they were just so convinced she was a villain and when they realized she was just a mundane, like, administrator, that was my favorite moment in that chronicle. <laughs> Did they suddenly feel bad for her? No, no, they didn't oh, okay. feel bad for her, but they stopped objectively hating her. Okay. They were like, oh, she's not the villain. And I'm like, no, she's not the villain. She's not a representative of Oblivion, but she also hates you. <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. Thanks for listening to us here at Shadowbound, the Wraith podcast. I've been James Sombrano, and with me has been Victor Kinzer. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>